Church, let me invite you to open uh, the Bible with me this morning to Psalm 118. Psalm 118 as we look at God's Word together. But we've been singing uh, of God's love for us. And the truth is that we all want to be uh, loved. We want to be uh, valuable. We want to be uh, considered and care, cared for and significant in the eyes of, of others. Uh, but the human experience repeatedly tells us that all human love eventually breaks down. Friendships frequently fade. Uh, the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife uh, ends shortly far too often. Even the close ties between parents and children in many homes slowly morph into prolonged rebellion, uh, chronic dependence, or even emotional abuse. Relationships that were one once natural uh, and easy, expressions of care and devotion become dense and difficult, requiring determination, dedication, and humility to repair. You know, sin destroys relationships. This is what happened in the garden when a healthy relationship between God and humanity was uh, broken, not only tainted, but also uh, severed as a result of human rebellion against God. Sin destroys relationships. But the difference between uh, human relationships and the human and God relationship is that in the latter, one party remains sinless. He never does wrong. And so despite our failures, he always remains faithful, still loving us and still wanting reconciliation with us, even when we stray from him. And those who receive the reconciliation that our God offers us, the reconciliation and restoration that he provides us through Jesus, will experience his unfailing love forever and ever. God's love endures forever. Friends, this is why we come back to this place week after week and have church. Those that do not know this saving love of God uh, may join us from time to time for varying reasons and we rejoice when they do. But the recipients of God's rescuing love gather to worship Him. This is what we do. The recipients of his rescuing love gather to worship him. There's a spiritual longing, a desire in us among all those who've been saved by God to gather with the redeemed and to worship him. And we see this longing, this desire expressed in our text for today. So let's look at it together. Psalm 118, the recipients of God's rescuing love gather to worship him. Uh, Let me invite you to join me standing again for the reading of God's word. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 1. The scriptures read this way. Hear the word of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine on us with bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And Lord, we do acknowledge today that you are good and that your love endures forever. Lord, guide us now uh, by the presence of your spirit. uh, Lord, as we seek to understand these truths from your word. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, once again, as we look at a psalm, as we've been doing over the last several weeks, we see uh, a repeated refrain for emphasis. Uh, This time, his love endures forever. God's faithful love endures forever. You can count on it. If you are one of his children, if you are one of his people, if you are a sheep in his pasture, then be assured today that you will experience the incomparable love of God forever and ever. You know, this particular text uh, is a bit confusing at first because it seems to uh, shift back and forth between what seems to be personal testimony, I and me language, uh, and a call for the community to worship the Lord. When we look at it as a whole... Uh, I think what's happening here is that uh, the I language represents a leader in the worship procession, a leader in the the worship gathering, speaking on behalf of God's people uh, as they make their way to the temple uh, to worship him and to recount what he has done. And he begins in this text by calling upon various groups, specific groups in the congregation to give thanks by repeating the refrain His love endures forever. So this would be sort of like us calling upon uh, various groups assembled among us today uh, to repeat that refrain. And so let's do that. Can we do that before we go any further? Can we express that the Lord's love endures forever? Uh, And so this is how we'll do that. Uh, We'll we'll, uh, do that all together. When I say let the church say, uh, you'll respond and you'll say his love endures forever. 
So let the church say, His love endures forever. Uh, How about let the men say, His love endures forever. Let the women say, Let the choir say, let the church say, his love endures forever. God's faithful love endures forever and ever. And how do we know this? Well, we know it because of what he has done for us. God demonstrates his love by delivering his people from oppression. This is what God does. He demonstrates his love by delivering his people from oppression. Now, we don't know for sure the original setting of this psalm, but uh, many scholars believe that it may have been the return of the Israelites from exile. So a little Israelite history uh, 101. Uh, remember that following the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, the Moses story, uh, an entrance into the promised land, uh, the Israelites asked God for a king. So God gave them a king. He gave them Saul, and then he gave them David, and then he gave them Solomon. And following Solomon's reign in 931 B.C., uh, the north and the southern part of the kingdom split. The kingdom split into the north, Israel to the, to the north, and the south, Judah to the south. Well, a couple hundred years later, 722 B.C., the north fell to the Assyrians. And then sometime later in 586 B.C., the southern kingdom fell to the Babylonians. And both of these, by the way, foretold by God through his prophets as a result of his people's disobedience to him. He chastised them. He disciplined them. And during those years, many of the Israelites were taken into foreign lands as captives or exiles. But fast forward number of other years and God raised up another king, King Cyrus of Persia, who was swayed, no doubt, by the spirit of the Lord in 538 B.C. uh, to release many of the exiles to return to Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. And so in response to this deliverance from oppression, uh, the people of God gathered together and they began offering praise to God for his intervention. Last weekend, I had the opportunity to take, uh, to go with a friend and to take our, our, our son's fishing. And uh, so if you don't know my family, I, I took my, my middle child, who's almost four, he's still three, uh, fishing for the first time out on a boat. First time he'd been fishing from a boat. And for the first half hour or so, things were, were great. Everything went, went beautifully. Uh, the weather was nice, water was calm, temperature was warm, uh, we were catching fish. What more could we ask for? Then suddenly I noticed as I glanced over uh, at Paxton, I, I saw his little fishing pole come out of his hands and fall into the water of the lake. And for a split second, I, I saw myself intervening and saving the day. And grabbing his fishing pole before it fell to the bottom of the lake. But then I was quickly torn and frozen because my other foot, my right foot, was, uh, was holding the stringer of fish, keeping them from falling back into the water. And so I had to make this decision, the fishing pole or the fish. And I chose the fish. <laughs> and then it was too late. And hope, quite 
literally sank to the bottom of Lake Purdy. Well, in the, in the minds and the lives and the hearts of, of many of these Israelites, no doubt, after decades in a foreign land, waiting on God's intervention and the fulfillment of His promises, no doubt hope had sunk. Probably the vast majority of them, if not all of them, had given up hope that God was going to intervene and rescue them and return them to their promised land at any point in their own lifetimes. And then all of the sudden, God did. He intervened. He delivered them and He led them back into Jerusalem to reinstate their festivals of worship and their celebrations, their gatherings to be His and to worship Him and to enjoy His abundant provisions. And so imagine the leader of the believing community referencing that deliverance. A deliverance from exile. A deliverance from bondage. After decades of captivity, when he says in verse 5, when hard-pressed, I, and I think here, speaking on behalf of the people, speaking on behalf of Israel, cried to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord for help. And He brought me into a spacious place. In other words, God answered His people's cry for deliverance. God answers cries for help. He answers cries for help. God hears the prayers of His people in need and He responds. Of course, He doesn't always respond in the way or in the time that we would like, but He does respond. He hears our cries for help and when it comes to cries for spiritual salvation, cries of repentance and faith, for reconciliation with Him, He always answers with deliverance, with forgiveness and with new life. If you cry out for God to rescue you, to save you, to bring you into right relationship with Him, right fellowship with Him, then He will. God is then with those who are His people. He is present with those who are His. It's a promise through His Word. He is with those who are His, and His presence provides confidence. His presence provides confidence in the midst of danger. Speaking on behalf of the, of the delivered nation, the psalmist says, verse 6, The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. He says our helper, God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. The same God orchestrated a mass exodus of Oppressed and enslaved Hebrews in Egypt under the direction of a self-proclaimed mute man guilty of murder. That's divine intervention. And and then some number of hundreds of years later, God arranged for a pagan uh, King Cyrus to grant favor to tens of thousands of captured Israelites, allowing them to return to their homeland and reestablish their celebrative festivals of worship. That's divine intervention. And this very same God, the only God, planned before the foundation of the world to send His Son to be the God-man from Nazareth in Galilee, who would be rejected by His own nation, yet who would give His life away as a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the nations. That's divine intervention. 
So God's faithful love endures forever. And he demonstrates this love by delivering his people from oppression. He answers cries for help. His presence provides confidence. And he gives victory and freedom. He's a God who gives his people victory and freedom. Verse 10, all the nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. This is language of victory over enemies, but in this case, not uh, not a military battle, for there was no battle when the exiles were released. But this is speaking of God's divine intervention. That's what's meant by the name of the Lord. God intervened and delivered his people from a seemingly impossible situation. And when God intervenes in such a way, the delivered declare his mighty works. Those who have been saved, those who have been spared, those who have been rescued, the delivered declare his mighty works. Verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Celebrating God's mighty deliverance. For he has spared His people from death once again and the spared sing his praises. This is language borrowed from the Exodus event. The great moment of God's intervention and sparing the lives of his people. After that miraculous event where God delivers his people out of bondage in Egypt under the leadership of Moses and God parts the waters of the Red Sea and his people pass through safely. Moses leads the congregation in singing words that are then used in this psalm. Exodus chapter 15 verse 2. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. You see there is singing and shouting to God in response to what he has done. Ever been to a more charismatic church? Perhaps a Pentecostal church or Assemblies of God or maybe one of our gatherings with uh, a SIPCO, uh, something of, of that flavor. I remember as a child uh, attending a worship service uh, like that, a more charismatic church. I was a young boy, never been around anything like that. I remember seeing dancing and shouting in the aisles and being a bit uh, taken back by that, not sure what to make of that. Uh, sure, a number of you, I'm sure maybe all of you can identify on some level with that. You know, here at Meadowbrook, we tend to be rather reserved and, and reverent and That's not a bad thing at all. It's good to be reverent before the Lord, to recognize the magnitude of his presence and power and greatness. But but you know, it's okay to get excited sometimes too. In fact, we ought to get excited. We We ought to get excited about what the Lord has done for us. We ought to get excited about his intervention and how he has spared us and how he has gone to work on our behalf. It ought to lead to some joy and rejoicing and and celebration. You see, God's faithful love endures forever. God demonstrates this love by delivering His people from oppression. Have you been delivered by God? Have you been delivered from oppression? God's people know what it's like to be delivered. And then God's people assemble to praise the Lord for salvation. God's people assemble. They come together. They gather They assemble to praise the Lord for what He has done, the salvation that He has provided. That's the picture of verses 19 
and following in this text. Now, February the, the 8th of 2018 uh, was a big day in Philadelphia. Uh, February the 4th was certainly a big day. That was the day the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl for the very first time. Uh, February the 8th, that Thursday, was then uh, the day the city celebrated. And boy, did they celebrate. I think the schools closed and streets were closed off. There were a number of jumbotrons uh, around the city put up. Confetti was uh, was thrown, more than thrown. I'm sure it was shot. It was all over the place. The fireworks went off. Some two million fans lined the streets so they could see the team parade through the city. They celebrated. They celebrated in, in real fashion a victory that had been won. A game. A game that really has no lasting bearings or influence on the masses that celebrate it. But friends, there is a victory that has been won for us that has eternal ramifications for us that, that ought to be reason for celebration, ought to be reason for shouting, ought to be reason for praise. This is why we gather This is why we have church again and again and again. It's not so we can gain knowledge or so that we can feel better about ourselves or to admire the music or the message or anything else. No, the primary reason that we have church is to glorify God, to magnify Him, to exalt His name, to worship Him, because we know, we know that He has saved us. And God's people who know that He has looked on them and saved them by His grace, gather and gather with eagerness. We gather with eagerness. There's a desire to be with the people of the Lord in the presence of the Lord for the glory of the Lord. The recipients of God's rescuing love gather to worship Him. And for some of you, perhaps you know this firsthand because gathering for church used to be a burden to you. Perhaps the songs that uh, we sing were a chore to get through and the message of the Bible felt cumbersome and, and dead to you, but then the Lord did something in your life. And suddenly the words of the hymns took on a new and fresh meaning. And the message of, of the Bible came alive. Your perspective of church changed. And now you can identify with the believing community eager to enter the gates of the temple, eager to gather with the church to experience the presence of God among the people of God. Verse 19, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter. I will enter. I will go then. I will will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks, God, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. See, because of what the Lord has done, we will assemble again and again. And we will give thanks with rejoicing. With rejoicing. Verse 24, the the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. See, as the cornerstone, and we've talked about the centrality of the cornerstone before, cornerstone is central to the successful construction of an ancient stone building so the Israelites are central 
to the fulfillment of God's plan to bless the nations. He's chosen a people to be the channel through which the nations of the world are are blessed by God, through which salvation spreads to the ends of the earth. And yet the great powers of the world, the builders, the great empires of the day, looked upon this little people and rejected them, believing them to be of little value, and yet God had different plans. You see, by delivering the Jews from exile, God is carrying out His plans. He was conducting His plans and As his people see this, they assemble. They come together to praise the Lord with eagerness, with rejoicing, and with anticipation. With anticipation. Verse 25, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. In other words, God, carry out your plans to save your people. Finish your story. Do what we know you are going to do because you have promised it and we gather with thanksgiving with thanksgiving the people of god assemble together they come together with eagerness with rejoicing with anticipation and with thanksgiving verse 29 give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever with the recent release of uh, another faith-based film uh, i can only imagine Uh, viewers have a window Uh, into the story behind uh, one of the most popular Christian songs that's ever been produced. I I haven't seen it yet. I I hope to see it. Maybe some of you have, but I'm told it's it's quite the story. We know the story behind this song. The, The story behind Psalm 118 is also quite the good story. But it's more than just a story about physical deliverance from oppression in a foreign land. It's about the gospel of Jesus and the incredible deliverance of those who were, who were once in bondage to sin and estranged from God apart from His divine intervention. You see, through Jesus, He has delivered us also. He has delivered us from oppression. He has rescued us. And so we gather to worship Him, eagerly rejoicing with anticipation and thanksgiving and doing so often because we want to praise Him and also because He instructs us to do so. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and and following, we're instructed to that end, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but Encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, on Palm Sunday, one week before Easter Sunday, the crowds going to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover saw another day approaching. Another day of deliverance from oppression under the hand of a foreign ruler. This time the Romans. And they were there. They were ready to welcome Jesus into the city. Ready to crown him as their king. If he would take on that role. And so they lined the streets. And they shouted. Words of this psalm. Hosanna to the son of David. Save us son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You see, Messianic expectations during that time of year were high. But Messianic expectations were off. A couple days later, 
Jesus alludes to this psalm. Again, he quotes this psalm in chapter 21 verse of Matthew's gospel, verses 42 and 43. The Messiah, Jesus, said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? In other words, have you, have you never heard this psalm, Psalm 118? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And so now, just days before Jesus gives his life away on the cross, he claims to be the stone of Psalm 118, rejected by the builders of his day, those in power, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the priests, the Romans. The central piece and person of God's story of salvation, a story now taken to the ends of the earth, to people from every nation who will bear fruit as God's people. But you know, there's, there's one more, a third allusion to this psalm, also found in Holy Week. On Thursday evening, when Jesus gathers in the upper room with his disciples and has the Last Supper, most likely they followed the Jewish tradition of the day. And Jewish uh, tradition included singing Psalms 113 through 116 before observing Passover. And then closing the evening by singing Psalms 117 and 118. Remember that Matthew tells us in chapter 26 verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, right? When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The content of that hymn included this psalm, Psalm 118. Listen to what they sang, verse 27. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. See, the altar, of course, was where the sacrifice was, was bound and laid. They sang. Disciples sang And then they went out to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, awaiting the true fulfillment of their hymn. As the one who is the cornerstone, the central person and piece of God's story of redemption became the ultimate sacrifice on the altar of the cross. God planned this. And he did this to deliver you and to deliver me. He did this to rescue us, to save us, to rescue us with a love that endures Forever, This is God's program. This is his plan. This is his story. This is his agenda. This is what he has planned and accomplished and continuing to accomplish for our good. So let's join his program. Let's join his program. Let's recognize his plan and his program and let's find our place in it. Let's get with his, his program. You see, for some, this means repenting and turning to Christ for salvation for the very first time, receiving the gift of forgiveness and eternal life today. If that is you, if if you've not been forgiven, if you are not right with the Lord by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then do so today. Become a child of God today. Become a person of, of Christ today. Become a sheep in the shepherd's pasture today. Turn to him today. Still, for others... Joining his program might mean asking for an attitude adjustment when it comes to worshiping him. It might mean a, a renewed commitment to regular gatherings with God's people to worship him and to hear from him. Something still for others, joining his program might mean a renewed investment in knowing him through daily 
reading his word. See, I don't know your spiritual condition today, but you respond to the Lord. You join his program in the way that he leads you. For his program is good. His plan is perfect. His love for you and for me is unfailing. And he expresses his love by delivering you and inviting you to know him. So let's be about him. Let's be about him. For his love is good. He is good. And his love endures forever. Father, we echo the words of this psalm today. That you are deserving of thanks. That we have every reason to give thanks and to rejoice. Because you are good and your love endures forever. Father, help us to respond to you in a way that glorifies your name. We pray that we would lift our voice in song. Lord, that we would bow before you with gratitude. That we would confess our sin and turn to you in repentance. We pray that that we would act like your people who are saved by your grace, undeserved, unearned, yet freely given, that we might know and enjoy you forever. Lord, hear our praise now as we respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.